Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 246. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of Moon Knight, episode 4, The Tomb, directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, written by Alex Minahan and Peter Cameron and Sabir Perzada. This series was created for television by Jeremy Slater, and Moon Knight is, of course, a Kevin Feige production. Before we talk about this latest episode, want to let you know once again about Fan Show Plus. That is an exclusive podcast for premium subscribers, whether that is at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts. If you search for Fan Show Plus or the MCU Fan Show channel on Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe there where you can hear additional MCU talk like our recent trailer breakdown for or teaser breakdown rather for Thor Love and Thunder and spoiler reviews for stuff outside the MCU, like the Book of Boba Fett and Peacemaker earlier this year, and coming up pretty soon, because it's getting very, very close, the Obi-Wan Kenobi Disney Plus series will have spoiler reviews available on Fanshow Plus. And then just make sure you are following us in those places you can. We are at MCU Fanshow on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much to everyone who has already taken the time to share their thoughts. Now, on with the show. How you doing, Paul Herman? Well, it's uh, it's been a crazy last couple of weeks. Uh, sorry, I missed you last week, everybody, and and Sean. I was I was bummed out we couldn't figure things out because of Easter weekend, but. Uh, uh, Lulu just turned two years old. That was pretty nuts and uh, had just a week of celebrating that. Just lots of exciting things happening. So, uh, yeah, it's been great. And obviously, Marvel has not slowed down in the meantime and they've dropped a zillion things. So, yeah, I'm uh, life is good. Life is good in the Herman household. Yeah, they've dropped a zillion things, although most of it is or has been TV spots from Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which, like you, I'm just totally skipping and trying to keep mm-hmm. blinders on as best I can because we're so close to that movie. Like, wow, that movie's like a week and a half away from when we're recording this. It's just, it, it's nuts. Yeah. We had all this time at the beginning of the year with no Marvel stuff, and now it's starting to feel overwhelming. But it's the best kind of mm-hmm. overwhelming. But uh, our thanks to Tom DeMichael who stepped in as a guest co-host last week for the Moon Knight Episode 3 spoiler review, and also that episode of Fan Show Plus that I mentioned before the music in the uh, pre-roll there as we were breaking down that Thor Love and Thunder teaser. And in classic MCU Fan Show fashion, or Fan Show Plus fashion, you give us a 90-second trailer and we'll find a way to talk about it for an hour. That's just how uh, good or not good we are, certainly when it comes to uh, the idea of keeping things uh, brief and concise. But Paul, uh, before we talk about this latest episode of Moon Knight, which I really have been dying to talk about for weeks now since uh, I watched the first four episodes via the screeners that Disney had sent out, I do want to hear, and I know that people want to hear, your thoughts on Thor Love and Thunder on that teaser. They can hear mine over on that episode of Fan Show Plus, patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, or Fan Show Plus, or the MCU Fan Show channel on Apple Podcasts. But for the benefit of everyone listening to this episode mm. here, Paul, what did you think of that Thor Love and Thunder teaser? Well, I can tell you right now, I, I, I loved it. I loved it. It was... Uh, people have been like... I, I, dying for something of this movie for a while and especially since you know i kind of understand because it's, it's getting close um it, it does feel a little odd they waited so long a little bit i mean 
not like to- completely surprised, but a little surprised he waited this it's long. It's pretty new compared to normal, you know, the normal marketing cycle that we're used to for Marvel movies to wait this yeah. long to get something. But I'm all for it because yeah, yeah. I hope it's the beginning of a trend that we see less of these movies Agreed. on our phones, on Twitter and Instagram as these spots are, are released and, and more mm. in the theater when we sit down to watch them for the first time. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm all about that too, because I, I just, I already know I'm, you already got my money. I'm just right. I'm ready to see it though. But this trailer had so much going for it. You know, I mean, I, I could go, we could really go on for another two hours about br- breaking that whole thing down, but obviously I got like a, a couple minutes. So here, um, I, I obviously I flipped out with the original costume, uh, them running oh my god i flip the <laughs> hell out it's like finally let's get this this is you know we get like the original costumes now canon as him as a younger person which i love right that's great um it's there there's a lot of cool stuff in this i thought that was connecting to obviously the end game with him trying to get back into thor shape um playing up the relationship between him and the guardians that was great uh i love the, all that follow-up stuff from you know the previous films again you're, you're giving us what we love of the mcu which is the connectivity of going you know we're not just you know oh yeah i was with the guardians for a couple of minutes and like you know in a dialogue we're actually going to get some kind of uh ending to that whole relationship in some way yeah this is probably like the biggest handoff like from mm-hmm. one movie to the next whereas more it's like yeah as you mentioned it's like it's a quick line of dialogue of like oh yeah i was hanging out with them wasn't i like no like he's he's in it when we uh catch back up with him yeah so there's i mean all that stuff is great i mean obviously people have gone on twitter like crazy about the shot of korg and thor uh, looking at the giant monster thing i forgot its name Mm. um you know that's straight from the jason uh, aaron and asad ribic uh comics which is just a a glorious image that uh taika has managed to put in the movie and and the actual original panel or layout whatever Mm -hmm. is just incredible too and just shows you how much the the comic book medium informs these films and and how it's just an amazing art form so yeah it, yeah all and, that and the level great. of respect that that taika clearly has for it with, absolutely you know, with the, absolutely with the and kirbyisms and kirby crackles like and all that stuff like all over mm-hmm. thor ragnarok and then you see what he's doing in paying tribute to yeah uh jason aaron and asad ribic uh in that shot like he's yeah. You know, Taika, he loves this stuff. I mean, he, he loves, as, yeah. as much as any director, I think, especially visually, like he really pays tribute. Yeah, I think James Gunn and Taika are probably the biggest ones to do the biggest homages and understand, mm-hmm. I think, the medium as a whole as like just on, on a pure, I think, love or at least at least James, we know, loves comic books. I don't know about Taika necessarily. I, I'm assuming he does for how much he puts in, like you said, but I haven't read I haven't read a quote or anything. But yeah, from those two directly, they seem like they sourced the, the main material out the most and really try to give like, you know, in that you know, vein or whatever. But uh, but yeah, I, I think this is amazing. Um, again, I could go on, on and on. But to go kind of end here with the obviously the, the end of the teaser was really, really great. Um, straight up. I think uh, Jane Foster's Thor was a really, really great story in the comic books. Um, I was surprised how much I liked it, to be honest. Because um, with those, you know, changing of the characters, it's always, you know, it's a gag. Not a gag, but it's just, you know, shtick, you know. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing that's going to you know, eventually go back, revert back to Thor. And very, very few times it does, like, those, those new versions of the characters really resonate and, and stay on. And I really thought Jane Foster Thor, um, if it wasn't for the popularity of the character in the films very well maybe could have stayed on i don't know it could be a wally west situation from you know dc from brent you know brent uh allen or barry allen to 
to uh, Wally Wally West. I don't know. It, it, it was she was that good. I thought Jason Aaron did a phenomenal job writing the character and seeing her in live action. I think someone on Twitter already said it. I'm just going to echo what they said that this is the, that's by far the best Thor costume on screen, <laughs> but like already, like it's already the best one. Like and that's full on like. Yeah, there's no doubt. That's an amazing looking costume, and it's so comic accurate. And, and I think Natalie Portman looks great. She looks ripped. Uh, you know, yeah. and she's she looks phenomenal. And I'm not the biggest Natalie Portman fan. Is I've been very much uh, uh, critical of her in previous works, not all the time, obviously. But uh, there's there's some things I'm definitely gonna be critical of her of. And but this, I already I'm like, okay, I'm in. Like I think she looks like she's ready. I think she's pumped to do this, and she looks the part. Um, yeah. I, I loved it. Again, this might be one this on that one shot. And you see it in motion a little bit more, Sean. But this Jane Foster Thor very well could be maybe the best Thor costume, if not maybe one of the better costumes in MCU. We'll see. But yeah, I love what we see. I, I'm dying to see this movie. Can't wait. Nor can I, although we've got a lot of things to enjoy between now yes. and July eighth when this movie comes out. I mean, wow, we've got Still a couple episodes left of Moon Knight, plus still episode four of Moon Knight to talk about right here and now. Doctor Strange <laughs> and the Multiverse of Madness and Miss Marvel is going to be starting before we get to Thor, Love and Thunder. But then inevitably, there's probably going to be this break between Thor, Love and Thunder and the end of Miss Marvel before we get She-Hulk and Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I'm just guessing that maybe that'll be the case. I don't actually know, but uh, hopefully not because we... If if that ends up being what it turns into, then I would just ask for uh, Marvel Studios and Disney and their plans to you know spread these things out a little bit as opposed to having months and months off and then having these clusters of, of everything. But um, it doesn't really matter. I, I'll take all this stuff just as soon yes. as it's it's ready and they're they're willing to give it to us. But um, let's go ahead and let's talk about Moon Knight episode four. As I said at the top. I just I, I could not wait to talk about this episode. I had to, but with the way the this episode ends, I'm sure all of you listening, you know why. I really wanted to talk about this episode and because there's a lot that happens and I'm sure we will spend quite a bit of time talking about breaking down, theorizing the the end of this episode, you know, the last 10-15 minutes of this episode, but I have to try and uh, we got to pace ourselves a little bit and, and make sure we don't skip everything else that happens in the episode. But before we get into specifics, uh, Paul, I, I do want to just talk about some of our opening thoughts on this episode. I really liked it. I was very worried about this episode when I first saw it because the way episode three ends, Khonshu has laid it out for us. Like if he's imprisoned in stone, then the healing armor goes away, which means Moon Knight goes away. There's no superhero costume mm -hmm. in this episode, presumably, if Khonshu has just been imprisoned and stoned at the end of episode three. So I went into episode four. I mean, I got to immediately watch episode four, but I prepared myself for that and thinking, well, we didn't get a whole lot of Moon Knight in episode one, a little more in episode two, and that was great. Even more Moon Knight action in episode three, but that's just to set up Moon Knight going away for episode four. And so I was really worried as to whether or not I was going to enjoy this episode because I was, I, I don't think I actually did it, but I was tempted to roll my eyes at it at the end of episode three. It, the first time I saw it going into four, because I was like, oh, is this just going to be another excuse to not have to come through with the superhero costume? But I am pleased to say that 
back then when I first saw it and in rewatching it a couple more times this week, I think this is still a very good episode. It's not my favorite. Episode two, mm. as I had been saying, remains my favorite because, look, my favorite episode of Moon Knight is highly unlikely to be the episode in which Moon Knight doesn't actually appear. So, um, it's, yeah. It, it was it, it this it had that working against it for sure, but I still thought this was a very good episode. I thought it was just very entertaining overall. It was downright scary in not like the kind of scary, creepy that we had for certain moments in mm-hmm. episodes one and two. I think there was genuinely scary stuff in this episode. It was emotional. It was surprising. It was weird. It was trippy. And it certainly brought in some of these other influences that we have seen in this series, not just in terms of comic books, but in terms of other movies. There's a little more Indiana Jones in this, as we've been seeing in the series so far. There's definitely some of the Brendan Fraser, Rachel Weisz mummy series in this one, and even a little bit of Tomb Raider, or rather Tomb Buster, for good measure. And... I really love this episode, and and I can't wait to get into, because I, I don't think the end of the episode means quite what it's it, it lead it's meant to lead you to believe mm-hmm. like it means, uh, and we'll, right. I know what I just said makes absolutely no sense, so I promise we'll expand on that later, but yeah. I think this episode had a lot of really great things going for it, and, and a few things, you know, here and there that, you know, I'll, I'll quibble about as, as we go on, but mm-hmm. for a Moon Knight-less episode of Moon Knight, it was still pretty strong. Yeah, and really quick, because I, I, again, I missed the last episode with Moon Knight. Just to kind of wrap up Moon, my new Moon Knight 3 things really quick is I liked the last episode. Um, you know, I, I thought it was good. It wasn't my favorite. I thought episode two is definitely my favorite so far. You know, spoiler alert for those who are wondering my, my opinion of this episode so far, uh, for episode four. Uh, the one thing I, I put it, my, my gift, my little teaser gift to see if people can guess at least a little bit of what I'm thinking uh, was basically I... As soon as I saw the end of episode three, Sean, I, I pretty much said, oh, this is their, you know, where can we have Moon Knight not show up in costume yeah. and save some money? <laughs> oh, it's in the episode four. Oh, perfect. You know, that, that's exactly what I don't it know was. how much money they saved, though. This was true. This was yeah. an expensive episode in terms of production design, in terms of CG sure. uh, and other visual effects like Oscar Isaac doubles and, and all of that stuff. Like this was not a cheap episode. So, um, yeah, that, that's. At least I would say that much for them for sure is I don't think they skipped Moon Knight in this episode for the sake of saving on CG because there's right. I, I would be shocked if this episode cost less than any of the three before Agreed. it. And that's a good point. And, but that's again, at the end of episode three, that's what I'm thinking, you know, so because I'm like, OK, they did, you know, but I think in retrospect too, even looking at that now, there is, like you said, there's a lot of stuff in here. Moon Knight on top of that would be pretty expensive i imagine um i'm assuming anyway i'm not sure exactly how how uh uh actual practical the suit is itself i'm assuming, I'm assuming like other, every other marvel superhero costume it's modified in post just like everything mm. else um heavily uh so so episode three i liked um and then the end of when, when they 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 capture conchu in the stone i was like okay um I thought this episode was solid it what I, I think it's my i think the first episode is still my least favorite of the entire series. Um, but I think this episode was still was better just because it was, I think more interesting and it had a lot of fun action stuff in it. Like, and you talk about the mummy again, and I'll eventually talk about this at some point, I think, but aspects of the moon Knight of show, I never thought 
I really wanted to see, you know, to be honest. Right. Um, but we'll get into that later. But anyway, I do think that this show, this episode in particular, is going in a different direction that I maybe not stoked, super stoked on. But again, we'll wait and I'll wait to see the end of the series. But it, it definitely went a different direction. But I think they also did this, Sean, to give us more background of the characters and kind of develop and show kind of, I think, a little bit of what the world of Moon Knight is. And I think when I look at it like that, um, and, I, and I say the world of Moon Knight, I mean a lot of like the Egyptian god stuff. Cause, and that's one of the cooler aspects, I think, of the show that I have not maybe really thought I needed a lot of that they're going for. It makes sense in, in this kind of direction they're taking the character. They're going a way more supernatural element of the character than maybe necessarily the comic book counterpart has. And that's fine. I have no problem with that. I think that makes sense given the context of the character and Conchu and everything. And so, it might make sense given where Moon Knight will be appearing next or could be appearing or who he might be palling around with next. Right. In the right. Yeah, exactly. It make that all makes sense in that route. Um, so I don't, I, I'm cool with it. Um, it's just not necessarily my favorite most, you know, I want to focus on this. Um, so, so given the Indiana Jones feel of everything, the mummy, uh, I think you're doing that to basically give us more backstory of the Egyptian gods to set us up for, I think obviously the finale, but I mean, give us more, I think for even people like me who are hardcore Moon Knight fans of like, okay, I think I know where they're going with this. So that was, that's all a bit interesting. I like that stuff, you know, um, but my, my favorite stuff is probably late, later on. We'll talk about, but yeah, I think overall, not my favorite episode, not my least favorite though. I think the first episode is still, I think the weakest. Um, but that's also just because I think of how I saw it. Um, but I enjoyed this, but it's just not the moon night. I want to see on screen necessarily, but it's not like, I hate this is crap. You know, it's, 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 it's good. It's still solid and good. I think, you know, I think episode two, I think by far is captures the spirit of moon Knight the best. And I love, love, love that thing. But the last two episodes have been solid to good. Um, just not quite my favorite. And I'm very curious where they're going to take the character and everything after this, obviously. Um, but, um, it definitely ends on a better note for me. I think as a hardcore moon Knight fan. Yeah. I think the way this episode ends is, a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about at some point, Mark Spector has to be confronted with the idea of whether or not this is real and, and has to have these doubts of whether or not this is real, but then also push back on the idea that this isn't real and, and fight for the idea that he has actually lived through this and had these experiences. But we'll get to that. We have a whole episode to go through before mm -hmm. then. And so it really picks up where we left off. So, we see uh, Khonshu imprisoned in stone, being dropped off uh, there in the Great Pyramid of Giza. And then we're back where we were with Layla and Stephen as Stephen is passed out. And we see that Harrow's men are there. And so Layla has to step into the action and she is able to save herself and Stephen. He missed the whole thing because of, of course he would. And, and let's be honest, what good would Stephen have really been in that scenario anyway? Um, so good showing by, uh, by Layla there. And then it's off to you because they had the coordinates that they got at the end of last week's episode. It is time to go find the tomb of Amit. And in the car ride over, Stephen is kind of explaining things from 
Mark's perspective and the deal that they made and how Mark is going to go away, or that means he's not going to be part of Layla's uh, life. And Layla's not really a fan that they made that deal, certainly without her knowing about it. But as Steven points out, it's not exactly like Mark was uh, part of her life. But it's still establishing more intimacy with these emotional conversations between Steven and Layla, which sets up the whole love the love triangle sort of between Layla and these two different identities within the body of Mark Spector. And and Mark, by the way, wants the body back for this mission because he feels like it's going to be one that his mercenary skills are are called for and not necessarily the puzzle solving that Steven was so good at, although that does come into play in this episode. (laughs) And uh, I I love Steven's little comment, though, of like, and when Mark's trying to say, yeah, this is the kind of stuff I've been through before and whatever. And Steven's like, well, so have I, you know, same body and talks about muscle memory and Mark having to point out that's not exactly Poor how Shadowine. it works. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But it was cool though. Like I, yeah. I, I think that, uh, you know, and some of that did come into play. Like Steven's not as in control as Mark. He's not as cool or as smooth as that, but you know, there, there's a little bit of muscle memory in there maybe. Um, but Mark is picking up on Steven's affection for Layla tells Steven not to lay a finger on her. Then eventually Layla decides that she wants a kiss. And Steven, being the decent guy that he is, decides to tell her, well, the only reason Mark was pushing you away was to protect you from being Khonshu's avatar. And Layla says that wasn't really his decision to make. So Steven goes for his kiss anyway. And Mark hilariously punches himself in the face to get Steven. That was awesome. I really loved that. And I also like the the whole conversations around the idea of trust and, and honesty. And, and that's what Layla likes about Steven is she does actually see him as an honest person. They also have a lot of common interests, which helps, but she sees something in Steven that she trusts, whereas she's been having a lot of trust issues uh, with Mark. But I also like this whole idea of Layla every time it, it's brought up to her that somebody was making a decision for her sake, that she's pointing out that she should be involved and in really the only one in charge of making her own choices and deciding her fate. And so I, I really like the way, and, and May Kalamawi as uh, the performer here, uh, on all of those redirects to just remind these identities that, uh, you know, it's not up to them to talk about what's right for her. It, it's up for it's up to her to decide for herself. Man, Layla, I, I, I am, I'm so, I'm not sure what's going on with Layla. I'm just, I can't put my finger on it. I like the character, you know, uh, I last couple of weeks I've been on a huge Moon Knight binge of rereading and reading for the first time a lot of Moon Knight comics and I'm just so used to reading Marlene and 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 Mark Spector working together that when I see Layla it, and she talks about her father it's you know Layla is is Marlene as far as we can tell so far but like I said in previous episodes Sean I'm like there's something about Layla I just do not trust there's something there and when she said that when she said it's not his choice to make I'm like that's weird. There's a, that's a weird response to me. I don't know. I, I don't think she, it's weird. She, I think that's, well, I think well, it's right. Like you're, well, she's, he's right. But what it's just in context of like the fact there's a God and, and all that, it's, it's weird that she'd be like, Oh yeah, I want to be, I want to be like in one-on-one with, 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 with this guy, it, it, with this God, basically it, that's weird to me. That just comes off. Like she's not, I'm not what she's saying. Well, is not I think it's more context. like, you know, it's not an, it's not an excuse to hide things from me and it's not an excuse sure. to push me away and not even allow me the opportunity to understand why just because you by yourself or yourselves are making a decision about what's best for me. And I haven't even weighed in. 
I don't think that Layla has this overwhelming desire to go be the avatar of Khonshu, and I don't really think that's what she's trying to welcome with that idea of that's you know that's for me to decide in terms of it's something that she she wants. But if we're talking I about an assessment way, yeah. of uh, of risk, and that is something that's that true. you know Mark does owe her that if they've been together for a long time, married for I'm sure a, a good amount of that time, yeah, that yeah she's she, what she wants is honesty, which is as simple as hey, rather right. than just push me away without telling me why, why don't you you tell me what's up and we can talk about it, and then ultimately I. I will be the one to decide for myself. All of that, I, I think, is perfectly normal and fair. No, I, I agree with that, yeah. I interpreted when she said that more about Khonshu specifically. Like, well, that's not, you know, if I want to, if I want to be the, the av- next Avatar, you know, I'm right, which it is, but it's just weird that knowing what Mark's going through, she'd be like, oh, yeah, I want that, or I'd be cool with that. And that's the way I interpret it, and maybe I'm misinterpreting it, and that's the, but that was the first thing that came to go, ah, something with Layla, I'm just not, and the fact they haven't named her Marlene is also interesting because when they had the scene last episode with the passports, I thought we we're gonna have an Easter egg with Marlene in it, mm. and we didn't. And we didn't see it. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. So I mean, I, I, maybe I'm just you know totally off base here, but there's just something I'm not quite sold on as far as the character of like, is she good or bad? I don't know, and I could be totally wrong, and that's fine. I don't, if she's basically Marlene, just a different name, that's fine too. But it's just. Because of all those things, I'm like, I'm just not sold. I can't sell myself on what, which direction she's going, which I kind of like about the character, yeah. to be honest, because I don't really know. I don't really trust her completely. Because, um, again, and in the, in the, again, I go, I go back to the source material all the time. Comics, Mark and Marlene have a very tumultuous relationship, but they're never married. And I feel that that's an important thing because there is more of, like, I think, a, like the trust issues and things like that and being open, the things that you're talking about, Sean. Those things are even, I think, more important. I mean, any relationship, but even more so when you're like you're you're married. I feel it's even like bigger, bigger, bigger stuff. I guess it's my opinion. Um, so when she's like saying that to him, like you know, and they're and they're trying to like figure that all out, it's it's interesting. And again, the fact that he killed her, you know, he, he's the one apparently that killed her her dad. It's a lot going no, on. He there. didn't kill so, her dad. He was there, but he didn't kill her. He didn't kill well, her dad. Um, I thought like they insinuate that he's the one he's responsible. No, like they they have a whole conversation about it later on in the episode where she asks him if he killed her father, and he says, "Of course not. It was his, it was his partner who betray who killed everybody, and and also including her dad." And when Mark tried to stop it, Mark got shot by that guy. That's how that's all how Mark almost died and and got involved in this whole Moon Knight Conchu stuff in the first place. But so, see, I because I because again, like he's so hesitant to tell her. Though I feel there's more to that story of him being responsible. That's why I'm like, mm, I'm not sure. Even in the comics, he doesn't actively kill her, but he's responsible for bringing him in. Yeah, and, and that's and, what and that and that's what Layla gets to say to him. Like, you may not have been the one to kill him, but you sure. brought the killer to him. So I don't think Mark actually pulled the trigger and killed Layla's father, but it doesn't mean he is divorced of any and all responsibility because in fact the way it's not like he went there to uh, under the premise of i am going to assist you uh renowned archaeologist uh (laughs) abdullah alfuli i am here to uh, merely assist and nothing else is going on like obviously those mercenaries went there to get stuff from a dig site that didn't belong to them and that includes mark and they were probably supposed to take some specific thing or specific things and they weren't supposed to kill anybody but then mark's partner started killing people but that just because mark didn't know that that murder was part of the plan doesn't absolve mark of of any and all responsibility so mark's still done 
bad stuff and and i, well, I think course, and, right. and you know has that uh, and obviously we'll we'll get to that when we we talk about it but um when we get to that that scene in the in the episode but yeah i, I think as far as layla goes and and where where she's aligned and whether or not we can trust her that I think is a fair question, although I, I do think we get a clue with how she's presented at the end that mm-hmm. might point to where she's at. But uh, as I keep saying, because I'm it's so tempting, I'm, I'm not going to skip to the end of this episode. Yes. Okay. So they go into uh, into the tomb or they start making their way toward the tomb. And that's when Layla tells Stephen about her father. And uh, Stephen also has some fun with puns when she's saying it's amazing. And he says amazing, uh, which was great and terrible at the same time. But also, Stephen, the, as I mentioned before, the puzzle solving and his knowledge of ancient Egyptian mythology comes into play as he draws out the Eye of Horus. And they're able to see that this maze with the six different directions is representing the six senses. And they're figuring out as they're talking this through that Amit's final avatar was a pharaoh who turns out to be Alexander the Great. And uh, so as they figure out which direction to go, they focus on the tongue because the avatar would, of course, be the voice of Amit. Meanwhile, there is uh, or there are signs of trouble. There are some shell casings on the ground. And Layla is wondering, as one should, why what exactly they've had to be shooting at. And we are about to see in, I think it's safe to say, the scariest scene in the history of the MCU. I know there's not an overwhelming amount of competition when we're talking about <laughs> genuinely scary scenes in the MCU, but I think they had a couple. As I said, a little creepy, a little spooky in episodes one and two, but they really went for it in this sequence with the Hekka priest, and I, I really love the way they laid this whole thing out. I like that they walk into that room and, you know, the meaty bits that Stephen is talking about, the blood trail that Stephen wisely decides that they should not follow and they're looking for another way. And we see all this stuff like we we just know that horrific things have happened here recently. And, and this is definitely what uh, those shell casings were about that we saw moments ago. And then I was wondering how long it would take them to get into it, because we even when they first went into the tomb, like we started hearing the sounds of, of you know, what would turn out to be the, the Hekka priests. And so that they've planted all these seeds of what's going to happen. And then they go right for it. And I thought everything about this worked. I, I thought the way they had they, they slow played it with Layla having to hide just right on the other side of the table as the Hekka priest has found, you know, another victim, presumably one of Harrow's crew. And, you know, Stephen is having to watch from up top. They both take turns making noises and getting found out. So they got to make a run for it. And all of that stuff I thought was creepy and cool and scary. And then when Layla is on the run, we get into uh, we get into genuine suspense and real like jump scare territory, dragging her into the darkness, fighting her way out, being dragged back and having to get into this fight. And with this, you know, with this heck of priest and she ends up, you know, to her credit, she wins. And I also love that that primal scream that she lets out after she kills that heck of priest, because that was a lot. Um, but that whole sequence, I, I thought, was was great. That was some cool horror movie stuff that I am kind of surprised and, and pleasantly surprised that we saw mm-hmm. in an episode of an MCU series. I mean, I, I don't really know. I mean, I, so far, I haven't seen any social media outrage from any parents who let their kids watch that sequence and then immediately regretted it. But um, I, I liked that scene a lot. I, I think they did a, a really good job 
with the way they paced that whole thing and, and, and just pieced it all together and the way it escalated. And even, even though the scene wasn't exactly gory, like, you know, you don't really see what the, the heck a priest is doing to that one victim, but you do hear it and you hear those wet noises of, you know, really, really bad things happening. And so, and sometimes that it's scarier in your mind than it would be if, uh, if they actually showed it, which they certainly have is the method they got to use in a series like this that that is not TVMA, but for a series that's not TVMA, uh, they they really went for a, a lot here, and I think they pulled it off. This was a, a really, really frightening sequence and also very, very entertaining. It was a good scare. I will say, though I was, I'm very not, like, Moon Knight, this type of Moon Knight stuff is not necessarily my jam as far as for the character, I've, I'm like you, Sean. I really like this a lot, actually. Way more than I was anticipating. Because when I first started, I'm like, okay, here we go. I just kind of thought, all right, give me some CGI skeletons. Let's go. Hurt, you know, whatever. Yeah, but it was way more interesting and, and scary and I thought more creative um, overall. Um, I love seeing Steven have to squirm. That was great. Um mm-hmm. And like you said, like it was legitimately giving us some like legitimate scary like moments, you know. And again, like you said, not a lot of competition in the MCU. Yeah. But there's a lot of there's actually I think more even going on here. I think from a, an aesthetic standpoint, um, and in tone standpoint, then uh, maybe they're setting us up for than people realize because we all know that with where Moon Knight's going afterwards and Blade and and everything that's coming and this whole yeah. Werewolf by Night thing we're hearing. I think this is kind of like a precursor to like getting people ready and kind of used to scares like yeah, this. Yeah, like we're going to start scaring you a bit. Yeah, I feel that this is kind of a good way to get people, you know, into that. I think it's kind of started a little bit more with like WandaVision and a little bit with Loki, more so with WandaVision, obviously, um, but a little bit more with Loki. And I think with this, they're really taking it to that, that level of like, hey, families and people, like we're going to get more horror in this. So then we, when you do uh see that again or we're introduced to these new characters like the werewolf by night jack russell or whoever they're going to put in there which is still really funny to say by the way um and you have blade and, and whoever they bring into this whole uh realm of the horror midnight suns aspect i think that it's going to be not feel so like forced i think moon knight is the bridge of those things to be honest and um i think that's kind of where i'm i think why i'm more honestly not more irritated with this, with this this direction they're going is because of that i think this definitely is the bridge and i think seeing that scene and, and it working really well like to your point uh it makes me go okay i, I like where they're going that this is the kind of the horse that they're we're going to get with the mcu as a, a, a beginner kind of like the fisher price uh horror of of what we maybe could be getting a little bit i think we're we're, we're headed in a, a good direction in that you know a really fun direction and so Again, it was pulled off really well. I thought I, I was surprised how well it looked and how how like legitimate cool it was. To be honest, yeah. uh, I was not. Ex- my bar wasn't high as I was watching it, but when I when it was over, I went, "That was that was pretty cool." That yeah, was pretty cool. I, so yeah, yeah, I, I had a, a similar thing in that like horror movies aren't necessarily my favorite yeah, genre, same. although like superhero movies, there's plenty of sub subgenres within horror, and, and some that I'm a bigger fan of than others, but. I I really liked it, and, and I thought that, I mean, there were shots that, I mean, I mentioned some of the other things, like the jump scares, like when Layla gets pulled in the dark, fighting Rafi being dragged back, but even before that, when, you know, she's climbing on the rocks and, like, the hand reaches out, mm-hmm. I, I thought was so great, and and so much about it was, was just working 
really, really well. And, and yeah, I, I think it's a little bit of a clue. And I know we're, I think we're going to get some scary stuff still, courtesy of uh, of Sam Raimi and friends and Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think, you know, we're we're being prepped a little bit and maybe it's it's a little bit of a a warning, although I, I, w- I wouldn't call this a warning scene because it's genuinely scary already. It, it's not... I think maybe in in hindsight, it's a good point uh, that you made there about WandaVision. Maybe in hindsight, WandaVision was a little bit of the warning where it just got into, you know, a little bit more of that Halloween type of territory, but it did mm-hmm. so very gently in WandaVision, not mm-hmm. so much in uh, in this sequence. And so it's like if you if you weren't getting the hint, here it is uh, a little yeah. more over the top. And that way, you know, like, you know, maybe you might want to screen the episodes for some of these series before you won't have to do it with Ms. Marvel, but you might want to screen some of the episodes of some of these series yourselves before you, you let somebody younger in the household be able to watch it or just, you know, let them be scared and and work through it, but, or build a pillow for it, whatever they have to do. Yeah. Um, grow up. Yeah. So, uh, (laughs) you know, well, everybody can make their own decisions for, you know, their own, what's best for their families and such when it comes to the the content that they view. But, um, I, I thought this one really, I I thought this worked well and, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. And I also liked how, when Harrow was trying to say you handled that beautifully and, and Layla calling that out, like why do men like you always have to be so condescending? Like she doesn't need that compliment. She was just fighting for her life. Like it, it wasn't about proving anything to anybody or, or looking cool as an action hero. Like this thing was attacking her and you know, she had to stop it to, uh, in order to survive. And she did. And, um, and then Harrow decides to expand on, the bomb that he dropped last week and talking and hinting at the idea of Mark knowing the truth about her father. Well, now he's no longer hinting at it, not saying exactly what Mark knows, but that Mark definitely knows something. And to establish his credibility, he calls out the name of her father, Abdullah El-Fuli, and what he used to call her, his little scarab. And he was like wearing like a, and he was wearing something that Layla had, had made for him on the day that he died, that is something that that Mark remembers, and and that is a memory that Harrow was able to tap into. And I, I love that Harrow doesn't actually say it in terms of what Mark knows or that Mark killed her father. He lets Layla say it um, that Mark killed my father or knows something or whatever. He he's he's leading Layla to it and then letting her actually reach the the conclusion for herself, which I, I definitely think is manipulation on Harrow's part, although what he's sharing is actually true, but it might also be a manipulation of, of us as uh, as the audience uh, a little bit as well, which, you know, I'll, I'll save for more when we, we, we get to the end of this, because this whole mm-hmm. scene could be very manipulative from an audience perspective mm-hmm. if we try to say that none of this is real, but I will, uh, I'll expand on that uh, a little bit later on. But while this conversation is happening... Stephen is in the tomb of Alexander the Great in with an apology when he has to get the uh, the uh, Ushabti out of <laughs> Alexander the Great. Sorry, Mr. Great is an awesome line. Great. Yeah. And, and this really is like this reveal that Amit's last avatar is Alexander or was Alexander the Great. And they're uncovering the long lost tomb of Alexander the Great. This is right out of Indiana Jones type of territory yep. where you just allow it to, I mean, all the way down to the Holy Grail, right? 
that you just allow the story to go into and, and tap into these things that are just these grand mysteries of uh, of history and and letting it you know tie into and, and inform the plot of uh, of this particular story with this uh, season of, of Moon Knight. I, I thought it was a really great touch. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. And then, yeah, to to just get into, you know, the the icky parts of it of, of Stephen having to just reach down uh, into the throat of Alexander the Great to get this statue, this Ushabti of uh, of Amit. All of that I I was into. It's it's very, as I said, Indiana Jones type of territory, but I I loved it. And and look, if you're in that space, use some of those types of tools because they're pretty good ones. They're pretty effective. Yeah, I, I think this is I. If you had a different actor playing Stephen Grant, Mark Spector, Moon Knight, whatever, than Oscar Isaac, then maybe a, a lesser actor, then maybe the stuff doesn't seem as good and it's not as fun. Uh, and maybe I have more of an issue with it. But I think that Oscar Isaac makes all these things that I'm not necessarily was expecting we're going to get in a Moon Knight series uh, make more fun. I actually really like the, the interpretation of Stephen Grant, um, to be honest. I think that's a, that was a good – more and more I see uh, – the character and the version they went with or the, their own version, it makes sense. And I actually do like the character a lot. Um, and I think that that to me is what makes the show, at least for this part with not seeing Moon Knight in costume. Cause I, that's why I'm here. People I'm here to see Moon Knight. Uh, you know, so, but when I don't get it, I need to get, you know, entertained other ways. Uh, I do think Stephen Grant's an interesting character and having all his one liners and, you know, his little, his, how he's innocent he is and, and how earnest he is too. It really makes the show, I think more enjoyable. And he obviously is the audience, right? I mean, it's, it's a, it's a brilliant idea because he's, you know, he's informing us, but he's also like the audience. Cause he's discovering things for himself. And he can kind of go, Oh my God, Alexander the Great's uh, tomb. And, you know, as he's saying out loud, it's, it's perfect. Cause it, it makes sense. And he's such a likable character. You just take it, you know? And I, I think that I, I just kind of caught myself on this episode being like, oh yeah, like this is the, you know, he does what this is, he's almost a device, you know? So I like, I like Stephen Grant and this version. And I think that this was a smart decision. And I think that he definitely carries obviously this episode um, all the way um, to where I don't, that's why I kind of, I, I what we up to, we're about to get into Sean. Um, he definitely for me, you know, carries it as far as my enjoyment of the whole entire episode. Yeah, I think Oscar Isaac just continues to be so impressive that it's yeah. almost easy to take him for granted just because we we know and expect that he's going to be so great every time we we watch him do anything, but he's really bringing it in in this episode and I, I think when we get to that next moment where it's Stephen triumphant, right? He's found the tomb, mm -hmm. he's recovered the the Ushapti, and then Layla comes in and she wants to talk to Mark. And, and I love the way that Steven, I, I don't know what the inner mechanics of it were, if it was Steven relinquishing control or Mark just taking over. But I have to believe it was Steven relinquishing control because if Mark could have taken over, he would have a long time ago in this episode. And so I, I think that it's a, a testament to... Stephen knowing just right away that mm -hmm. Layla, it, that whatever this is, and not that he totally understands it, but he gets it at this point with Layla that there's no need to negotiate with this. Like, and there isn't anything about it. Like, Stephen doesn't try to talk her out of it or anything like that. As soon as she comes in demanding to speak with Mark, then Stephen lets Mark take over. 
and we get this conversation where we get to the truth or as much of the truth as we get to learn for now or, or see for now, which is that Mark knows what happened to Layla's father because he was there. He Layla asks if she if Mark killed her father, and he says, of course not. And he says what happened, that it was his partner who got greedy and started executing everyone. I tried to save your father, but I couldn't save him. Layla says that, uh, you know, Mark brought her father's killer right to him, as we were talking about earlier, and that is true. So Mark is certainly not absolved of any responsibility here. He's not exactly innocent in this, even if he didn't pull the trigger and kill Layla's father and, and didn't approve of his partner doing that or killing anyone else. And then Mark's partner shot Mark as well. As Mark says, he was supposed to die that night. And then it's Mark saying this is what he's wanted to tell her ever since they met. But Layla, through her own deductive reasoning, correctly assesses that that's the reason we met. You just had a guilty conscience. And that was like an oomph line that I, I just loved because I, I think it's totally fair for Layla to be able to say that to Mark. Like, it's not chance that they met. I mean, maybe we'll find out that it was chance, like total coincidence that they ended up meeting. But mm -hmm. most likely they met because Mark was approaching her to try and tell her what happened to her father. And then Mark kind of liked Layla. And then Mark liked what Layla Mark liked that Layla liked him and liked what Layla saw in him because it's mm -hmm. not what he saw in himself. As Harrow called out last week, you don't want her to see you as you see yourself as unworthy of love. Well, Layla loved him, felt like he was worthy of that, and he didn't want to ruin that. But it doesn't change how or why they initially met. Now, how or why they initially met doesn't necessarily mean there was no value to their relationship, and I don't think they'll ultimately see that way, uh, see it that way, assuming their relationship is real, which we can't totally assume at this point. But um, yeah, I, I thought that whole conversation between the two of them and the putting all the cards on the table and, and well, not all of them, but a lot of them on the table and revealing those truths and, and Layla responding to it the way she did, um, I thought was really, really strong. But also what this casually tells us is if we go back to episode three, Layla, Egypt is home for her. She says at the top of episode three that she hadn't been home in 10 years. And she mentions later in the episode that she left when her father died. So if her father died on the same night that Mark was shot and then presumably saved by Khonshu, and that was all 10 years ago, Mark has been presumably Moon Knight for 10 years in the MCU, which is a good chunk of time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't know if uh, that's uh, accounting for blip time or whatever. Maybe <laughs> maybe Mark's only really had to be Moon Knight for five years and the other five he was blipped. I, I don't mm. really know. But either way, it's a significant amount of time for Moon Knight adventures to have been happening in the Marvel Cinematic Universe if they were actually happening at all in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But I kind of think they have, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But... Um, yeah, I, I thought this conversation between the two of them was great and interesting little uh, little piece of info there that, that gives us without like explicitly putting like a neon sign of this is how long he's been Moon Knight to kind of a way to because they've danced around that before. If he just said it's been a long time, he doesn't exactly know. Well, now we have some clues to give us a better approximation, a better approximation of exactly how long it's been.
Yeah, when you brought brought that up to me, I was like, oh, really? It's been 10 years? And then you brought the blip idea. That's even, that makes a lot more sense even at that point because I feel like the a Moon Knight character doing that and a costume Moon Knight character, you know, fighting like jackals and murdering people or whatever, doing for Kanchu for 10 years might get the attention of something at this point. But again, maybe it's all in the shadows and who knows. So there's some interesting ways you could take that. Um, as we said earlier, I totally misinterpreted a lot of what she was saying. Because I guess, I guess I, to me, I'm just thinking of Marlene and I keep thinking there's more, there's so much more that we even know. Like, I feel like there's a lot of surface stuff that I'm just not buying into that I need to. I don't know. I just, yeah, I don't know. There's, just, there's something there I'm just not quite getting. It's interesting where they're going with it. I'm curious of where, to me, when like in, in the comics, when when Marlene and you know and and Mark is there, he's definitely he's definitely the same. It's the same situation in the comic books that we get, right? It's the same. Like, he's there with the mercenary Bushman. The, the, okay, I'm not, is that Bushman they're talking about? I'm very curious about that as well. You know, Bushman comes in and murders people, and that was that was the case. And then you know, shoots Mark. Mark Mark falls down, and then and then they kidnap Marlene, and then all of a sudden Mark's alive. Don's a white cloak and puts a hood up and then with his shirt off and then starts beating the crap out of people. I mean, that's essentially what happens to the origin of Moon Knight. It doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like we're going to get that in this. It's going to be a lot different. It's obvious. But within that, what exactly is going on? There just seems to be more. That's why I keep thinking like there's something more here that Mark's not saying or something. There's just something not quite adding up to me. And maybe it is at face value, but I'm very curious where it's all going to end up in the next couple episodes. So this has me a little bit on like and a good edge as far as like where they're going with this. So I'm very intrigued. I think Mark is going to need a lot of help if he wasn't honest with Layla in this particular moment, because this is where he's he's avoided this truth for so long and he's owed it to her this whole time. And mm -hmm. now, um, you know, he's being confronted with this and 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 she actually now for the first time ever has some idea of, of what he needs to tell her, what he needs to share. And so. I, I certainly hope for Mark's sake that if, if this is all real, that he was honest in, in this one. It doesn't mean we've uncovered everything. Right. I, I presume we're going to get the scene, but I, I don't know what the scene will reveal. Like, is it going to reveal something that we don't already know that Mark hasn't shared? Or is it just going to show us like the mechanics of Kanchu saving Mark? Um, yeah. You yeah. Know, I, I don't know what exactly uh, it, it's ultimately going to uh, reveal, but, um, you know, there is this, uh, just thinking of it now, there is this mysterious third personality or third identity, I should say, um, within, uh, within Mark Spector slash Stephen Grant that, that was hinted at last week, hinted at again, um, in this episode that we'll talk about in a few moments, maybe Mark's partner was, his other identity. Like, I, I don't know, maybe. Oh I'm, man, I'm, we're getting, I know that I'm getting way too deep into the weeds oh, of that. Of, of Mark thinks already of Mark thinks he was shot by his partner, but there was no partner. He's Bushman. It's, it's Tyler Durden. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, as, you know, as I said, uh, you know, there's uh there's a little bit of, uh, I don't know if I, if I've said this before on the show, but um, yeah, there's a little bit of fight club, uh, influence in, in right. some of this as well. Yeah, for sure. And um, also, as we are about to see, um, a, a lot of usual suspects influence on uh, on the very end of this episode. Yes. But but anyway, we're not we're not we're not there quite yet. We're almost there because Harrow shows up, 
And this uh, stops the conversation between Mark and Layla. And Layla is able to escape off to the side. Mark does his best against some of Harrow's crew, but then Harrow just grabs a gun, shoots Mark twice, and he falls down into the water. And uh, not very deep water, at least not at first when they initially show it. And then he starts to sink uh, and he goes into the light. And then plot twist, the next thing we see is a movie that happens to be starring a character called Dr. Stephen Grant, who is checking out a statue of a lunar god, but not from Egypt, but rather from the Aztecs. And yeah, this classic film, Tomb Buster, and Mark uh, wakes up out of this, or we see that Mark is watching this movie from uh, the confines of a psychiatric hospital, and it's all a big Usual Suspects Kaiser Soze reveal from here, as as we see the 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 main voice that we hear initially in this sequence is actually mm-hmm. Crawley, the statue yeah. for the first two episodes. So he doesn't speak that. in the first two, and I love that his is the voice as he's calling yep. out these bingo numbers uh, that is leading us uh, through this initially as we tour the room and we see these assorted items and characters that we have become familiar with over the course of the story. And the assorted items, I mean, cupcakes, a bird drawing that uh, pretty random for somebody to have drawn a bird that has the, the skull of, you know, Conchu. But anyway, um, there is a, a goldfish, not a real one, or certainly not a living one. Um, Stephen, who used to be chained to his bed, well, now Mark is chained to his wheelchair. He even sadly drops his Moon Knight Marvel Legends figure, courtesy oh, of, of Hasbro. And that. then he is in the office of Harrow, who is not the person we've known up until this point, and right now presented as a psychiatrist who is treating Mark Spector, but also knows his other identity of Stephen Grant. And on the wall is a picture of the Swiss Alps. He sees the cane that Harrow uses, kind of like the cane that was imbued with some of the power of Amit that we've become familiar with over the previous episode. So as I said, it's very much Kaiser Soze, you know, the reveal at the end of The Usual Suspect, looking at the different clues as Kaiser Soze was making up his story the whole time, uh, for those who remember The Usual Suspect or saw it. But uh, yeah, and I think that there are some clues here, though, like the... The whole idea behind this is pulling the rug uh, from under you or rather pulling back the curtain or whatever it is to reveal that this is all fake, right? This is all, these are all the clues, all these characters, all these props, all of these things are are what have informed the story that Mark Spector has made up in his head. And it's a, a lot of that fantasy is based on this movie that he likes, that he watches over and over again, called Tomb Buster, with this character of Dr. Stephen Grant. And Ethan Hawke, who is so good in this scene, I think maybe gives it uh, away a little bit. Like, the fact that he loves the villain in Tomb Buster um, is a pretty good clue to what's going on here. And even though he's talking about all I'm asking of you is an honest assessment of your situation, he also says, like, I can't help those who won't help themselves, which is the last thing he said right after he shot Mark before we transitioned into this scene. So there are a, a lot of clues to point that point to all of this uh, being real. But before we, and, and still being real, but before we start dissecting all that, just to finish up the scene, Mark runs out of Harrow's office, 
He finds Steven. They're actually able to embrace because they are two separate bodies here. And the last thing they each remember is being shot by Harrow. And then they skip. There's another sarcophagus that was rattling around like the one that Mark let Steven out of, but they skipped that one. So remember that mysterious third identity that we uh, last were, were hinted at or was last hinted at in episode three. There's another clue about that. And then they're running around and the episode ends as they meet a god that looks like a hippo. That's uh, Tauret, who is voiced by Antonia Salib, who just says hi. And then Mark and Steven scream. And that is the end of our episode. So your whole world has been turned upside down because, I mean, I don't know. I, I think the trailers did show some scenes that looked like they were inside a psychiatric facility, but I think I had the benefit of having being, this is this was where binging four episodes actually kind of helped me because I was so engrossed in these episodes and, and not be able to step outside of them as I was watching them back to back to back that I, I kind of forgot that that was going to be in there, even though it's part of the comic books and I knew it would eventually be part of the series. So when we finally got to it in this episode, it was fun, it was surprising, and it's certainly meant to have the audience start to doubt Mark Spector just as he doubts himself. But I don't think it's as simple to say that just because of what we see in this final scene, that none of this is real. Yeah, this is. It sucks because you know reading the the material they're borrowing from this is just so good, and is um, I want to say right now that I've I've gone on record, talked about this the mirror and small uh, Greg Small uh, Smallwood run uh, from a couple years ago, uh, five six years ago now it seems like I think it's what how long it's been, but this is some of the best Marvel comics you can read out there right now, and I highly recommend checking it out if you like any kind of moon night it's phenomenally written and it has all those aspects all the aspects you want from this whole series i think are there um it's brilliantly brilliantly written and drawn um but anyway all this stuff is all very much what i kind of i knew something they were borrowing something from this run specifically and when this showed up i went okay awesome all right we're getting this and obviously they're challenge you know this is meant to challenge us of what exactly is going on and and that's exactly what Lemire and, and Greg Smallwood did for uh their Moon Knight run back in the day they really challenged the reader uh is Conchu real uh these are all things that you know Charlie Houston uh um uh, he or I think it's Charlie Houston Hudson uh he put, brought in when he brought Moon Knight back he brought in the idea of Conchu is you know is Conchu a real god? Is he not a real god? And then Jeff Lemire really upped that ante a little bit, and then brought in even more of a concept after uh, Brian Michael Bendis brought in the whole three different well a different a different uh, take on the three personalities. And I'll leave it at that. Bendis's run is fun too. This stuff I feel this part of the show was I think the strongest. What I like the most. I mean, it, it's no surprise. I, I love the comics so much. But I do think they, they nailed a lot of what they're doing, like you said. Like you know, if you know, if you kind of know, it's not. We kind of know what's real, and what's not real. I think, and I to me, I I don't obviously it's not real. This part's not real. At least I don't think so. 
Um, and I think that, but I, I love what we're giving us as an audience and they're showing to people who have run the comics, they're really going deep. And I think of what's going on. And I, the only thing I'm thinking in my head right now, Sean, as I'm watching this is, you know, how much is Conchu built from this, right? Mm-hmm. That to me is what I'm thinking is like, how much of this is market? How much is, of this is Conchu building it? You know, one of the things that Haro said, um, you know, earlier in the episodes, um, you know, I think episode two or, or three, he he talked about how he is, you know, using Mark. Oh, last episode, episode three, he talked about using Mark and how, you know, he he's taking advantage of this, of a, someone who's sick and or and is not well, and and I feel like almost like it's a trap door for if something like this were to happen to Conchu. You know what I mean? Like, that's what it feels like. And I'm not sure. It's been a while since I've read the, the uh, Jeff Lemire, Greg Smaller comic books, but I don't think it's meant to be done the same way necessarily. But I feel like that's where it could be lead it, uh, led into a little bit. And um, almost for some for Mark to kind of discover himself and Steven kind of like, you know, what they represent and, who, and what they can do as, you know, they're, they're more than the, their god. Uh, they serve of Conchu. That's what I may be looking into this a little bit and maybe regain. I think that whole idea that I brought up in the very beginning of episode two of the idea of maybe molding uh, Mark Spector and Stephen Grant, Sean into one person or this other personality that they have and making them one concrete person, whether it's their, you know, again, going back to the, the, I think the foreshadowing of muscle memory, like maybe Stephen Grant is going to be the full time, uh, person going forward but it's going to be a molding of that kind of a thing like it's he's going to have mark specter's you know mercenary background and stephen grants and, and have certain aspects of those characters all molded into one but it having to be predominantly stephen grant i don't know i'm just spitballing here but these are all things that are kind of teased a little bit throughout the series at least in my opinion and with this whole idea of, of, of this whole, maybe Conchie's built this to have Mark be more than what he is, because we obviously Conchie's trapped. There's, there's gotta be some kind of reveal of Mark is more than Conchie. And he, we all know he is, but we're Stephen Grant there. And I feel like the power is there and then he's got to unlock it. That's what it feels like this whole episode is doing. It's unlocking the true power of Mark Spector, Stephen Grant and what that is. Um, so it's really interesting. There's a lot of different ways you could, you could, they could go after this. That's where I'm kind of thinking they're going with maybe, but yeah, I, I love this aspect of the show. It's my favorite aspect. The crawly thing I thought was hilarious. I'm like, I, very fitting that he's the one talking of the first one talking in the, uh, in the, in the scene, but, uh, Stephen Grant stuff, the tomb buster. Oh my God, that was amazing. Oh, so good. I, I love all this. This was so, so good. And, it, and it's so ripped out right from that uh, run that I love so much in the comic book. So again, if you have not read those comics, please do. They're some of the best Marvel comics in the last 20 years, in my opinion. I don't, if you like Moon Knight at all, I think you're going to really enjoy it. So yeah, definitely check those out. Yeah. I don't really think Kanchu is, is even really part of this particular moment. Cause as you mentioned, you know, Kanchu is kind of bottled up at the moment. And, and I don't really think this is about, uncovering the powers of Moon Knight away from Khonshu. Like, I, I don't think Mark or Steven or anybody can have those powers without Khonshu because they are Khonshu's powers. Like, I, I don't... What I, I see this as is... It, this is more about unlocking the mind of Mark Spector. But it's really interesting to even think about the idea that we've just assumed that Mark Spector is the original or... Mm-hmm. If it's not Mark, then maybe it's Steven, but it's probably Mark. But maybe the third one is the original one. And there is a third identity in the comic books. It's Jake Lockley. And and I think that if we're going to find out that this third identity is named Jake Lockley, I think we're already talking about 
a, a departure from the comic books in terms of characterization because right. I'm not super familiar with Jake Lockley, but he's not evil. And no, he, you he's, know, he's a cab driver, not that like a cab driver is, you know, not that the profession assigns a moral <laughs> compass necessarily, but I don't think it, but we've already seen these changes in characterization, right? Mr. Right. Knight is not what Mr. Knight is in the comic books. They're, they are certainly going their own way with some of these things creatively in the series, in the MCU iteration compared to the comic books, as we've seen other types of changes in the past. And it would be interesting, just the idea that it, what if Jake Lockley was the original and then Mark Spector was created and then Stephen Grant was created after Jake Lockley did the horrible thing, including killing Layla's father, you know? And then mm-hmm. that is something that I could see possibly being unlocked here. Because I, I think there there are certain things that Mark has to reconcile because regardless of whether or not Khonshu is real, there are real things that have happened to Mark and real things that, that Mark has done that he has to, uh, that he has to account for in some way, or for it wasn't Mark, another identity with that same body has done, but you could certainly see the, the idea that that body has, that that identity has done terrible, has done worse things than Mark has ever done. Right. Because mm-hmm. when, Steven sees those dead bodies from those guys in episode three. He's saying, was this you? And Mark's like, it wasn't me. So there is somebody who is worse than, there is an identity that presumably is, is worse or, or more dangerous than, than Mark has ever been. Even when he was maybe the worst version of himself as a mercenary at, at some point. So I think some of this is that, that prison of the mind for Mark Spector, but also you can't discount the idea that this is a manipulation of Harrow. And why would Harrow be doing this? Maybe because Mark's not, even though Mark doesn't have the healing armor, he's not guaranteed to be dead just because he was shot. So maybe he's still alive and this is something that Harrow is doing to manipulate Mark because he still needs some piece of information. Like the, the, um, that statue of Amit, like we never saw Harrow get it. We never saw it. Like it's, it's there and Mark is still holding it even after Layla moves away, but you know, he pocketed it or something and I don't know where he necessarily has it that maybe Harrow wasn't able to get it. And there's some piece of information that Harrow is trying to extract, or there is some other way in which Mark is blocking Harrow and Harrow's only solution is to get Mark to give up on this, uh, on entirely on the idea of this being real because it and, and that is where the comic books kind of have that question. Like there was a Marvel Infinite comic recently that had that whole idea of the psychiatrist who's treating Mark just so happens to be somebody who kind of seems like it would be the villain who would want to stop Moon Knight and Khonshu and all of that. So he can't necessarily trust it that this person who is being positioned as his therapist is actually his tormentor. And that's all part of the fight that he has to have. If all of these fights that he needs to have are actually real and he in fact needs to have them. And so I, I don't think we're supposed to figure out or, or know for sure what exactly is happening here, what's real and what isn't. But I'm inclined to think that Mark Spector slash Stephen Grant and Conchu, like all of this stuff is real and Mark Spector or one identity in this body or multiple identities in this body they are going to be Moon Knight going forward. They are going to free Conchu, as Conchu even says, like, make sure Mark frees me when he was going to be in prison in stone. And then Conchu will eventually be able to get out and we will have Moon Knight back. But the process of freeing Conchu, 
I think is going to probably be merged with the process of Mark Spector having to reconcile these different identities and, and really reconcile with his own past and the decisions that he's made, which may perhaps also involve the third identity, as I've mentioned. And yeah, my, my head's just spinning thinking about it and all the different directions mm-hmm. that this could go. But I, I mentioned Layla as a clue here, and it's very interesting what we see from her. Like you mentioned before, like you're not really sure if you can trust this character and in the story that, as far as psychiatrist hero, hero is concerned, is only in Mark's head, in that story, Layla is the love interest. And she loves Mark. She's perhaps falling in love with Stephen. And it's a romance that is reciprocated and, and all of that stuff. But in this reality... In this, you know, within the psychic world that Harrow explains to uh, to Mark, she's not somebody who loves him. She's not somebody who cares about him. She is somebody who pretends to be friends with him just so she can steal his winning bingo cards and promise that she will share the rewards next time. And then she never does. Mm. And I, I think that's where... If this is something, if this is all a manipulation of Harrow, which it may very well be, then that would point to Layla actually is good. Who would want to show Layla, or who would want to show Mark that Layla is bad? Well, Harrow would want to, because he wouldn't want, just like he's been planting seeds of doubt about Mark within Layla, even though a lot of those things were based on the truth, he wants these characters to doubt each other. He wants these characters to question each other because that makes them weaker. If they are not aligned with one another, then they're not going to be in a great position to counteract Harrow and his crew and all the things that they want to do. So um, I, I think that some of this seems to be a manipulation of Harrow, but it also doesn't appear to be an environment that Harrow has complete control over. Like, why would Harrow put... Stephen in there in a way that Mark could access him. Why mm-hmm. would this other god, Tauret, be there? And I know there's theories about what this means of because Tauret being a god for uh, you know birth and perhaps you know rebirth in Egyptian mythology that maybe that's what's happening is Mark Spector, Stephen Grant being reborn after a death after being shot in this episode. I think there are multiple forces at play. We might find out this is like a location. This is a place. Like we've heard them mm. talk about the Overvoid. Maybe that's where this is that Mark has been brought to or something like that. And and Harrow has a way of kind of tapping into it, but not so much in a way that he has full or complete control of it. So that, that's where it's a little hard to, to figure out. And then I, I mentioned before that in terms of the whether or not this is real, there are some other things that that kind of point to it. Like, I, as I mentioned, the, the visual thing that happens, like Mark is not sinking physically, literally, when he is initially shot and when it looks like he's he's fading. And then it's kind of brought into this other zone, but it wasn't a physical space uh, that he was moving through there. At least it didn't seem to be. And also Harrow suggesting that not many others have seen Tomb Buster. Why would Harrow want to point that out? There's no real reason to point that out other than to, again, have Mark question all of this and the legitimacy of it of saying this is a unique fantasy to you and there's a reason why nobody else would confuse this or even be able to detect previously that you are acting out this movie that you're obsessed with 
because nobody knows about this movie that you are obsessed with. It's not the MCU. Uh, Tomb Buster is not, although now it's canon that it may, may, maybe it's canon as being something, a movie that exists in the MCU. But also when I, I talk about scenes being a manipulation of the audience earlier, there's a couple scenes like when we get to when we are in the psychiatric hospital. What is Layla snacking on? A marshmallow. Where did we see her do that? In her meeting with the forger. Guess who wasn't there? Mark or Steven. And we got a whole conversation between Harrow and Layla that Mark and Steven were not present for. And this is where I, I would say it's a, it's a bit manipulative and, and even a bit of a cheat. If you were to try and say it's as simple as none of this is real, usually when a story is not real and it's all inside the mind of a character... Well, that character has to be present for all of the scenes or, or have some way of knowing about all of the scenes that they are imagining because they're usually not imagining things that don't involve them at all. So it would be quite an elaborate fantasy or, or delusion, which doesn't mean it, it can't be that elaborate, but it, you know, it would be very elaborate on the part of Mark Spector or whichever identity you're assigning this to that he's imagining full scenes between characters that, you know, characters in his story that who are not him. And mm. even though they might largely be talking about him in some of those instances, there's just a lot there that you normally wouldn't put in a story like this if you were going to say that it's all been imagined. So I think we are dealing with a space that is hard to take literal, but with that, and you can't really take literally. And that also means that just because you're shown a bunch of clues that none of this was real, and these are all things that inspired Mark to make up the story in his head, just because the clues point you in that direction doesn't mean you have to or necessarily should accept them. And if I had to put a bet down, by the end of this story, I, I think it will be affirmed that Moon Knight is real. And, and I don't think, by the way, that's something they can keep doing in the MCU like they have in the comic books. Like the comic books love to keep dancing, uh, circling it back to this question of, is this real? Is it not? Whatever. You can't really do that in the MCU because eventually you're going to have to make a ruling on it because either Moon Knight is going to be palling around with other MCU characters and other MCU heroes, or he's not going to be. And he can't be doing that if he isn't real, or we're just going to be pretending that all of his imagined adventures actually have stakes if he's teaming up with Blade, but oh, that's not really happening. That's just happening inside the mind of Mark Spector. No, I think we're going to find out this stuff is real. It's actually happening, which will allow Moon Knight to move on from this into a, a larger role in, in the MCU. So that's how I see it playing out. But how exactly we get there? No idea. Yeah, I, I don't. The comics don't. For a while, they did. They don't do it as much. That has not really been the focus, really, really since I think I think for honestly from Lemire. I mean, and granted, they, they took a break after. Yeah, but uh, they they eventually circle back to it. Like they don't. It's not constant, but they'll they'll do it for a while, and then they'll be like, it's real, and then somebody else can write a story of. Well, maybe well, not. Okay, okay, just for me, like so after Lemire, Bemis came on. I left because it's garbage. So I have no idea if they went. He went back to it there, but but since Jed McKay's taken over, it's been pretty consistent. Like it's it's real. Like it's there's no, um, and I don't think he's been. I don't think he's had an ongoing series since then. So I, I don't think it's been like that for a while. But there was, I will say, from the 2006, they introduced the concept of of Conchu because before. There was no Conchu. He's just kind of like just there in the background. Like, is he real? We think he is, but like there was no talking with him. He's pretty much just there and Moon Knight's his own thing. And then when Charlie Houston came in, came in, 
that's when he introduced Conchu as an actual person he talks with in the realm of uh, a guise of Bushman. And then through that, and again, it's been a while since I've read a lot of the stuff after the, that run with uh, Charlie Houston, the writer, or Hudson, or his name is, uh, they, they definitely play with that idea. And then when Warren Ellis came in, he just kind of did some fun stories. He introduced this that the Conchu, essentially what we have now. Lemire went deeper into it. I thought he kind of put a, a period on it, like kind of he put it like I, I closed the book on that a little bit. I thought again, I've, it's been a while. I haven't read Bemis. I refuse to. It's awful. But since McKay's taken over, it's not really like that. It's pretty much like he is the fist of Conchu, and they're really going deep on the idea of like, you know, Mark's you know mental health. And but not really so much as like if Conchu is real or not. It's more of just like if, if Mark's OK or not, like if he's able to handle his life. And um, so it but yeah, it says thing, and, and I'm thankful for that. Like I'm with you because I don't think you could do that for very long. And I don't think they've you know, the comics kind of toyed with that idea for a while through Bendis and stuff like that. But like it's mostly been like kind of wrapped up as like Conchu's real. We get it. And maybe they might do some things like that. And I think there's some. You could tease different things like that. I think there's different ways you could you could work around that a little bit. But I think the right now, I think you're right with the fact that that's his power level. You can't you can't get away from that. Like Contra has to be real because you know in the comics he's a vigilante. He's or in a sense to where he has no real power. Uh, Conchu gives him all his power in the show as far as his strength and things like that. So, and his costume. So I feel like he has to be real for in order for Moon Knight to be real. So they kind of, you kind of hardline set it one way. So I definitely feel like you can only do this once really. So, but yeah, I, I definitely with you on that for sure. As far as Conchu has to be real. Yeah. I think that's the, the direction that it's going, but it's going to go, uh, you know, we're in our own maze of trying to figure out exactly how all this lays out. Like the, the mechanics of what actually is happening here, I don't fully understand. As I said, it's, you know, it, it seems to have Harrow influence, but it seems to have influences that are not necessarily Harrow. So uh, I'm very interested to, to check yeah. out episode five and figure out where this is going to go from here. If, if I had one hope for episode five, though, because I, I know these truths of what's going on here are going to start to be revealed right. in episode five, but um, free Conchu in episode five, so we can get Moon Knight in episode five. Um, or maybe, you know what? Even if they don't do it in the present, give us some flashbacks. I, I, yeah. I certainly want Word. more Moon Knight action in episode five. I don't want to wait for episode six. Just because I I don't like the math on that. I don't like how no. two episodes of, of No Moon Knight means a third of this series is No Moon Knight, especially with how little Moon Knight is in the, the first three <laughs> yeah. episodes. More Moon Knight is the ask Please. here, but I in your Moon Knight show. But I, I, I still really like this episode and or yeah. love this episode, and I, I've really been enjoying the series so far, and I like all the complexity that is added to it with the end of this episode. And uh, I love that it makes it so, so tempting for even us as the audience to write this off and make us doubt Mark. But um, I'm not ready to, to look at those clues. It's almost too much. They, they, they went yeah. so overboard in trying to prove the case that this isn't real that it, it leads me to believe that, no, th this is happening and, and we're going to find that truth out amongst others as we continue on. But yeah, this great episode and, and, a, and a great turn and look the, the timing of this is, is perfect right it's end of act two right if uh mm -hmm. you know four episodes out of six so uh to leave us here just wondering what exactly is going on and, and in its own way kind of having us back to how we were 
more informed and yet somehow still not fully grasping what exactly is happening here. Kind of like at the end of uh, episode one, where you know you're just kind of left uh, with your head spinning, trying to figure out exactly what it is that uh, that we're dealing with. But great episode, and can't wait to see where it goes from here. That is where we will wrap up this edition of MCU Fan Show. Thank you, as always, for listening, and also make sure you check out Fan Show Plus at Patreon.com/slash Sean Gerber, or if you search Fan Show Plus or the MCU Fan Show channel on Apple Podcasts, where you'll get a full breakdown of that Thor Love and Thunder teaser trailer, amongst other things that we cover on Fanshow Plus inside and outside of our favorite Marvel Cinematic Universe. Make sure you're following us in those places you can. At MCU Fanshow on Instagram and Twitter, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Paul, where can they find you? Find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also, my YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. Please subscribe and check out those videos. Uh, we did a, a Batman video last week of just kind of the influences of, of the movie. The week before, we had uh, a very, very fun Spider-Man Council where I had took a bunch of hardcore Spider-Man fans, and we did a big round uh, table of where the Spider-Man story could go a, in the MCU using the comic books only. Our, our, my good buddy Javi went nuts, and you, it's worth just to watch it just for him. And you can turn it off after that, but like he, his stuff, is, he went nuts. It was amazing. Um, that's going to be a regular thing. Uh, Spider-Man Council was a blast. So I definitely recommend checking that out. So for all you people. And again, more Moon Knight is coming. We have a, a previous episode where we break down the Charles, uh, Charlie Houston, Hudson, whatever his name is. I always forget um, his run. But it's super good, super fun. And uh, we'll have more Moon Knight on the way. As soon as the sh- uh, show wraps up, I'll be doing a post-Moon Knight show. But all the comics where the, the stories could go afterwards. But I have to watch the series first figure that out. So yeah, check that out stuff out uh and uh, yeah thanks awesome and you can follow me on twitter and instagram at mr sean gerber so for paul i'm sean laters gators